This is the In the Black Podcast. In the Black Podcast. Big old McBridgen, big up. Black up, make up, and rip it up. Make it sizzle on them just a little. Don't give them too much. Yeah, we in the black and it's all good. Mr. Hustle Hard, Orange Crush. This for all hoods. This for everybody. Yes, welcome, welcome, welcome. What's up? What's up? What is up? Back once again, it is the incredible In the Black podcast. And in case you weren't aware, this is a podcast dedicated to covering the current events and social issues going on in your black world and covering it all from the perspective of three grown ass men who know that Arya Stark actually should be the one to sit on the Iron Throne. Uh, I am your host, Big O, Mr. In the Black himself, but you know I can't do this alone. Hustle, say what's up. What's up? Crush, say what's up. What's good, everybody? Reunited and it feels so good. Yes. Glad that you guys are back, man. I missed you guys, man. I hope things haven't been too bad, man. Yeah, things have been good, man. Things have been good. Good, good. I know I would ask who's staying out of trouble, but neither one of you have ever been able to stay out of trouble. I should just call your wives and find out what's going on for real, for real. Whatever, 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 man. Especially Phil. I know Phil's always in trouble with time. <laughs> we are on iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and all the other major podcast streaming services. Make sure you check us out at our In the Black PDCST Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages, as well as past episodes at www.intheblackpodcast.com. And if you like what you're hearing, we'd like for you to consider contributing to our show by going to www.patreon.com forward slash ITB podcast so we can continue to bring you the content you've come to know and love. So we're going to jump into our black box letter for today. This week's letter comes from Gabriel, but he goes by Angel. Angel writes, what's really good, fellas? My name is Gabriel. I'm a 30 year old project manager from the Bronx. Trinity Ave, what's up? I've been a Yankees fan my entire life. I live for that pinstripe life. So I wanted to know what you guys thought about the Yankees not playing Kate Smith's God Bless America during their games anymore. I'm kind of torn. I'm not about that racist BS or promoting racist BS, but I was about 12 years old when they started playing the song at the games. And to be honest, I've gotten accustomed to it. Do you guys think it was right for them to get rid of it? So in case you weren't aware, the Yankees and the Philadelphia Flyers decided that they would no longer play Kate Smith's version of God Bless America at their games. Once it came out that Smith had recorded overtly racist songs with bangers (laughs) such as That's What Darkies Were Made For. Hey, I know, right? (laughs) Now, we'd be remiss if we didn't point out that Kate Smith was a notable songstress from the 1930s. Uh, but the Flyers had a statue outside of their stadium for her. They removed that. They took that down. And uh, Smith's family members, of course, are upset about the move and, of course, are saying that Smith wasn't racist. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah. Uh, I know you guys are both familiar with it. Who wants to go ahead and start off, man? Uh, you know what? Yeah, let me just jump on it real quick. I'm going to just be real succinct, man. Uh, tear all the statues down. Tear them down. And what I mean by that is we have statues in this country of people who were traitors to the country 
that stand in places throughout the South, we have a statue of Robert E. Lee that's in the U.S. Capitol, man. So these things are unacceptable if we just take it objectively. Now, having said that, Kate Smith didn't own these slaves. She wasn't fighting for the Confederacy, but she was promoting racist propaganda that was detrimental to black people, detrimental to us, not just in regards to people being considered and stereotyped as dumb, but in regards to redlining, in regards to employment, in regards to education. All of these things were consistently used as arguments to keep black people in an inferior position politically, legally, economically. So this notion of, oh, we just, this was the past and things were different. Why, is I, I've, been, I've been talking with people about this. Somebody knew when that statue went up for the Flyers, somebody knew. When they started playing her songs at the Yankee Stadium, somebody knew. They knew about this stuff. The, the idea, the notion, that you're going to start promoting somebody and you don't know their discography? Get get out of here, man. Somebody <laughs> knew, and she got promoted because of it, not... In spite of... You really think so? I, 100%. Man, this, <clears throat> the older I get, the less I think there are coincidences and mistakes, man. For real. So I that's my... T- and I now all you. of a sudden, now all of a sudden, 30 years later, it's like, oh, oh. <laughs> like, come on, man, seriously. Just because you have the internet now... Doesn't mean people didn't know things before the internet. You know what I'm saying? What's up, Phil? Go ahead, man. I mean, we can't, you know, we can't, you know, we're just at a point in our history as a country where, you know, the contradictions can no longer stand. You know, when uh, when the truths come out, um, you have to take a hard look at what they actually mean, and you, you can't uh, you can't afford to say that you're the land of the free when you're you know freely promoting people that do not want other people to be free. Um, you know, in any way, shape, or form. So, you know, change like this um, is is welcome. Um, it's inevitable. You know, when we're dealing with the we're dealing with the, the truth of history and what kind of ideals we want to represent as Americans here, um, we can't be uh, we can't be lenient on that or give passes because it happened in the past. You know, whatever she did in the past contributed to the atmosphere that continues today. Yeah. So. Regardless of what the family may want to say, um, you know, uh, the proof is there. The songs are there. You can go find them. <laughs> you know, like, you know, her, her name was in the her name was in the credits. I'm sure she got a royalty check. Yeah, exactly. You know what I'm saying? I'm sure she got a royalty check. I'm sure the A and R loved it. Shut oh, up. Shut it's the truth, man. Well, no. Oh wait, 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 wait. Real quick, though. Oh, real quick, man. I know that your wake up song. Is that's why darkies were born. So I can't wait to hear your opinion. Check it out. First, I, I am a Yankees fan. I've been a Yankees fan since the, the late 90s. Uh, and wagon. do we have to? Yes, thank you. Yeah. Because you know, North Carolina <laughs> does not have a baseball team. So I know the jealousy is boiling up yeah, in you. Exactly uh, right. <laughs> but at the same time, with, with that being with that being said, shut up. With that being said, um, the Yankees didn't start playing this song until after 9/11. They started playing it during the seventh inning stretch uh, at all of their home games. I can understand the tradition and wanting to play the song, uh, but at the same time, 
I'm also not about that that racist bullshit. So for me, we had this discussion off air. When you know better, you do better. So the Yankees, whether Rick believes that they knew it already and they did it anyway, I think that I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt in the situation and say they didn't know and they found out. Now that they know, they said they're no longer going to play it, which I, sh- I think that the Yankees and the Flyers, for that matter, should be commended for it. The argument that a lot of people are making is that this is a woman from the 1930s that sung this song during the 1930s and that we cannot use the same we cannot use the same lens of 2019 to judge her for things that happened in the 1930s because that was the way of life i can understand that argument but my overarching concern or my overarching <coughs> thought about the whole thing is so what if you're not playing Kate Smith's rendition, that doesn't do nothing for anybody. Play somebody else's. It doesn't kill. It doesn't. It doesn't. I mean, I don't see how not playing her specific version of "God Bless America" like has riled so many people up and ruffled so many feathers. I can understand the, the like I said, the tradition of it all, but at the same time, there were a lot of traditions that America has since decided to break. So. Yeah. That's just me. And look, I just, the argument that it was just the time and that's just how it was has to be killed immediately. Because, let me give you a perfect example. You see these pictures of people who have been brutalized and lynched, had their fingers cut off, their their toes cut off, uh, their tongues cut out, their genitals cut off, their burned husks up on a tree. Mm-hmm. And you see all these people proudly having a picture taken, smiling wearing their Sunday clothes, wearing hats, men, women, and children, right? Those people grew up. Those people got old. Those people are walking around today or Those people had children and raised children. Not not even that. My question is, did Kate Smith attend a lynching? If she was there at a lynching and she was there smiling and taking a picture, and if it was a picture of Kate Smith from the 1930s, and we find this picture today, would anybody in the world say, Oh, keep her statue up. Oh, play her version of the song. Nobody would say that, right? Because it's a horrific event and we'd see the visual picture. My point I'm making is that her singing racist songs could have been played at these events that were actually occurring in the 1930s because they're hand in hand. I see. this, This notion that somehow somebody being from an older generation gives them a pass on evil is ridiculous man it's ridiculous and i don't I say- know if well, what you're saying let's in all fairness we do not know if kate smith was involved in any lynchings beatings or things of that nature sure. we do know that the songs that she sung are evidence that she behaved in an ignorant and racist manner. So let's make sure that we're clear on that. Well, part. okay, let, let's be a little more specific about the songs. These songs were popular by the Klan. They were popular by people who were committing these atrocities. This was their music that they were getting hyped to, if you will, when they were committing these crimes. The, you know, your wake-up song. So my point that I'm making is... <laughs> so they would play it like they play uh, T-Pain's All I Do Is Win. Is that what you're I, telling I, me? I, I, exactly. <laughs> exactly, man. 
that was their that was their jam, you know what I'm saying? That was their eye of the tiger, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so because of that, man, I you can't absolve people with if you if you are gassing up the truck and somebody's about to commit a crime, like you can't say, Well, all I did was gas the truck. You knew you knew the deal. Everybody knew the deal in this time. You you say that, but I, I like I said, I can understand the perspective that some of these folks are coming down on. I am one like we've had this discussion probably a thousand times on the show already. I try as much as possible when I'm listening to music or watching a movie to compartmentalize myself away from the song and the songwriter or the the, the performer, because like we said or like I've said, if you want to. Put everyone through a through that critical lens you're not going to really have very many people left to perform or to be entertainers for us because everyone has skeletons or situations in their closet that they, they don't want to come to light um i don't agree with the sentiment that her i think it was her granddaughter i don't know if it was her granddaughter or her daughter that was on cnn that was making a very quote unquote heartfelt argument that kate smith was not an art uh, was not a racist but once again she was a songstress an adult during the 1930s pretty much every white person was a racist during the 1930s <laughs> and i don't say that in a disparaging way i'm just saying that that was just a way of life yeah and you have to have been in some capacity uh, complicit in it for you to even even if you didn't write the song which I believe she did and I could be wrong our listeners you guys can correct me if I'm wrong even if she didn't write the song but the fact that she sung a song which is one of songs Darkies this is why Darkies are born and then what, what was the other one that she did there was uh, think, one song that she did about, it was about picking in these yeah about good 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 shut the hell up <laughs> little black kids <laughs> behaving well and hopefully they'll go to a, a, a well deserving heaven where there's watermelon and chicken or something like that like, that's literally that's like literally <laughs> what was it in the lyrics of the yo I she made it. I, this is not a joke she made a video at an actual black orphanage surrounded by that black is that correct. is correct that, that, that was how she, she really made that. that was how she Ooh. made that song K Smith that, dude they would make videos back in the song. 30s man that was how she made that video. particular song yeah you know what I'm saying? So please, please don't give any passes. Don't give me that. She's not. Like I said, I'm, not, that, I'm not giving her a pass, man. But like I said, I. so the question then becomes, which has been a question that's been asked over and over since this incident has come up and other incidents like it. What do you do with people? What do you do with these people in terms of how they're recognized by history when they have situations like this? Do you just As they cast... Are. I mean, do you just cast them into the waste bin of history? You, no, I don't they, think no, you they, can. They're going to be recorded as they are, but recorded nonetheless. What you, when you say that, what do you elaborate on that? You just say record them as they are, but what, yeah, I no, mean, no, do no, you no, think, because like you said, an the, unabridged, unredacted version of their history. It should be documented. I mean, you should, it shouldn't be highlighted, but it should be documented. It shouldn't be so thrown do, away either. So do you but think that, do you think that, that organizations like the Yankees and the Flyers are still uh, within their right to continue to play that song after coming to the conclusion that Kate Smith will give her benefit of the doubt right in this very instance that she I mean, might have been a racist. <laughs> I mean, they have the right to do that, but then they also have the right to assume that you feel the way she does. So that's that. And that's that. Let's point out that 
this doesn't mean that the ownership of either the Yankees or the or the Flyers is not conservative or is not racist or any of that stuff. What it means is that they made a business decision and that they right had to the decide th- there's a mountain coming. Because if you know about two songs, you're going to find out about other things. So there's a mountain coming of bad publicity that has to do with anytime somebody has to defend this isn't racist or I'm not racist, they lose. Period. Because even getting into that argument now, everything you're doing is being scrutinized. So instead of having this headache of playing this woman's song and then every time having a protest or some black person getting on YouTube and and commenting about how this just proves that Donald Trump, you know, instead of doing that, they said, cut her. She's not paying our bills. She's not one of our Hall of Fame players. Cut her. And they cut her. And what I like is that they cut her quick. Yeah, they did. Like they found out about it. It was like, oh, really? They cut her the very ah, next day, and that was part of the they, argument they, that the they family put the CD out the window. Yeah, right. That's when <laughs> that was the argument that the family was making was like that both they and the Flyers. Because the Flyers, like I said, she had a stat. She had a statue out in front of the damn stadium. They said in the darkness of night, they covered it with a black tarp and it took that jump right off the street. In the darkness of night, and they and the family was like, we didn't even know until we read it in the newspaper that they took her stuff away. <laughs> like God damn, <laughs> they didn't even call it. They didn't even call all the family they get that shit out of here. <laughs> <laughs> it's all out like, like, like projects, man. I know. Shut up. <laughs> Just find your stuff out in front of the apartment and shit. So, <laughs> quick, quick question. So, oh, oh, is the statue in your house now? Is it in your bedroom or in your living room? <laughs> no, I, I, I got it signed by Daniel Snyder and it's being sent to your house. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah, no doubt. Angel. Thank you, man. We really appreciate you taking the time out to write this letter, man. We really appreciate it. And if you want to get your emails and comments, share it on the show. You can message us on Facebook or you can send your emails as well to ITBP at InTheBlackPodcast.com. Earlier this week, uh, we lost a visionary in black cinema and in the black community. John Singleton passed away at the age of 51 from a major stroke. Um, The stroke ultimately was so severe that the family had to induce a coma to try and get him back or to try and, you know, make sure that he was okay. And unfortunately, um, during that process, his vitals didn't come back and he ultimately died. Um, It's been a tough loss for a lot of folks. John Singleton's movies have been a staple within the black community, not even just in the black community, but in American cinema period and have affected and touched so many. Um, Yeah. What did you guys think when you first heard the news, man? Um, I'll start off. uh, I was, uh, I was definitely hurt and um, shocked because I felt like I was seeing this man on a, taking his, uh, his third, uh, his third wind here in his career, um, with his new series so- Snowfall, yeah, and some other, some other things, and some other things I heard he was getting into, um, really soon. Um, you know, I felt like I had just seen an interview. He was just on Drink Champs on Revolt. He was just on those other. I felt like I saw three or four interviews of him since uh, since they last year into this year, and because uh, he was, he seemed like he was being very active, and uh, yeah. but that's all. That's what he, he he's always been, and. I think what always stood out for John Singleton for me was his sheer level of determination mm. to make to make his vision happen, unadulterated and without compromise. Um, 
you know, I remember, you know, during his last interviews, he actually went into detail with some of the battles that he won and lost in the industry. And, uh, but he never backed down from having his vision out there as this. And, uh, he was an excellent writer. He, uh, he motivated a lot of young black men who were, you know, genius and geniuses in their own right, but for some reason couldn't see themselves in other arenas. But I remember all the stories when these young guys from Ice Cube to Chris Tucker to you know, the Ludacris to, you know, all these young guys who never thought to see themselves another way, but they said, John told me, yo, try this out, try this out. Hmm. And their lives were changed forever. Yeah. He, um, he launched a lot of careers. Yeah. He, um, he inspired a lot of people. Um, and his legacy um, is uh, forever going to be ingrained, um, you know, in us as a community and as a country, and I hopefully the world. Um, uh, his, uh, his loss is tremendous, you know, in uh, a series of losses for us this year. Um, and uh, but you know that's life, and I can only hope that you know we can uh, still find uh, you know, knowledge and solace in his legacy. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, um, like you said, it's tragic and unfortunately it's not like surprising in our community. You know, uh, my father passed away three years ago. He was 61, you know, and he, he had high blood pressure and he had diabetes. He had a lot of things going on. Um, and all of us have a story like that. You know, it may not be our father, but it's, it's some brother we know or sister who this is the deal. They have high blood pressure. They have a stroke. My father had a heart attack. Um, and they're gone. And in, in our country, in the United States, high blood pressure, hypertension affects black men more than any other demographic. Almost three um, times more. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and so this means that we have strokes earlier. We have heart attacks earlier. We have diabetes earlier. We have all these health issues earlier than, than the rest of the general population. And it hits us harder. So John Singleton was 51, man. That is, that is young. That is yeah. very, very young, man. Yeah. Um, and the idea that he has a stroke and like you said, he has to go into a medical coma and then passes away is tragic. It's tragic. The the thing that um that is is I guess inspiring is that he did so much. When you name his filmography, you talk about poetic justice, you talk about boys in the hood, you talk about like all of the things that he was involved in, and just like Phil said, the people he touched. For me, the thing that always jumps out to me is Ice Cube talking about John Singleton and saying he's on a set of Boys in the Hood. He's a rapper. He's acting now. And John Singleton says, hey, man, you ever thought about writing a movie? And he's like, I couldn't write a movie. He said, you, you could write a rhyme. You write songs. And, and the, just that phrase, you talk about a guy now who has written all these movies. Barbershop is a franchise. He did, wrote Players Club. Uh, he now has the big three. Your your favorite? Are we there yet? <laughs> uh, 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 no, and he, you know, he's vying for these buying these regional networks where yeah, the first yeah. first black owned, you know, uh, conglomerate owning these type of regional networks. I think all that comes from that comes from that conversation with John Singleton. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. think about it, he could be just an old rapper right now, mm-hmm. an old rapper who has some dope hits, but he's not because somebody else told him to think differently man and i just feel like that's that's to me that's a huge impact he the things that people have said about him show how impactful he was with the people who came in contact with him in his life yeah i mean you can see it from 
people just like Ryan Coogler saying that there wouldn't be a Ryan Coogler if it wasn't for, mm-hmm. you yeah, know, he's for right. John Singleton. He's laying trying. down the tracks, laying down the groundwork mm-hmm. to show you that we can be more than just uh, more than just hoodlum number three in the lineup for when you go into audition for you know what I mean or more like you said basketball (laughs) right or how to yeah exactly I mean let's not let's I think I very seldom get into these type of discussions but when folks start to talk about movies that you have to see otherwise they would remove your black card (laughs) boys in the hood is one of them right oh yeah I think that boys in the hood being uh the movie that it is a telling a growing of age or telling of age story in the way that they he told that story i think resonates with so many people whether whether or not you grew up in that type of environment or not being able to bravely tell the story that so many young men and women go through on yeah. a day-to-day basis yeah, and not yeah. not even just that but it it was not only just a movie but also had the soundtrack of our generation at the time <laughs> our st- storytelling of the time yeah. and to think that a man like that would die so early or be taken away so early i think it's it's more than painful yeah and from something that is is fairly manageable rick rick even even reversible Rick mentioned yeah. it in the very beginning. Yeah. Yeah. I had a conversation with another friend of mine and we were having a discussion about just about mortality and things of that nature. And, you know, this was last year around my birthday. And I was telling him, I said, man, I think I'm going through a midlife crisis, but I'm only in my mid thirties. I don't know what the hell I don't, it couldn't, I, it can't be a midlife crisis. And he said, hey, hey, uh, to be honest with you, you know, black men live far less than anybody else probably until like their early 70s so this is technically your midlife crisis and i had to stop and i thought about it for a second and i was like shit yeah and like you said it these things are in in effect manageable but once again we i, I don't know if it's an ignorance of men uh i don't know if it's a, 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 a I don't know if it's our ignorance. I don't know if it's uh, failure to have access to certain things. I don't know if it's a lack of education, and I don't mean that in a necessary, in, in a, like in terms of the book. Since I'm talking about just in terms of information and how we use that information to better our health and ourselves, I don't know if it's individually those things or or the combination of those things. But we find these things happening far too, far more often than we want to. That I think is necessary. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? I, I mean. I, I just think that we have to like refocus, man. Like when I was a kid uh, and I was growing up, you know, went through my growth spurts and I played basketball all the time as a teenager and I ate everything I wanted to because my metabolism was just, it would yeah, just burn everything yeah, off. Yeah. And then I got to college and I replaced the basketball with just sitting and eating. And uh, I just ate everything I wanted to and then blew up as far as weight. And then that was a consistent pattern where my weight just over the years got bigger and bigger and bigger and higher and higher, but my activity level was still low. Low, yeah. And so, uh, you know, you get into uh, getting married, you get into fatherhood and- Sedentary lifestyle. Working. And then and the, the thing is, I think that, and this, is a, this, is, this will sound like a conspiracy theory, but it's really not. The foods that are popular that are out there for us, the junk foods, the, the, the sugary foods, the foods with high salt, affect our chemistry differently. 
And we don't think about that. Sodium affects people of African descent differently than it affects people of European descent. It's just, it's the truth. And when it comes to this country, salt and sugar affect black people worse than anybody. How do I know? Because I've, I've been to churches. I've seen what people look like. You know, how do I know? Because people, people are dying at young ages, you know? And I think that we have to be honest about that. If the food that's made generally for popular consumption by these major brands affects us in the most negative way, then maybe we shouldn't be eating that food. It's, like it sounds simple, but but it, I think maybe maybe that's the maybe that's the case. I mean, like you said, it it sounds extremely simple, but there's a reason why the food is cheap. There's a reason why there are so many black communities in America that have food deserts that do not have access to fresh produce and things of that nature. But you can find a McDonald's probably every three blocks. Yeah. Because the food is relatively cheap and it's affordable for people in that community to be able to pick up. Why should I go to, why should I hop on the bus, drive maybe, uh, hop on the bus, go ahead and drive maybe 30 minutes out to go to a Kroger's or something like that to pick up some vegetables when I can just go up the street and get a, get something from the dollar menu. And I mean, I, it like you said, it sounds simple. And you know what we're going to have to do? And I'm, I'm going to mark it on our calendar tonight that we need to have uh, either a nutritionist or someone in the medical community come on and help help us have this conversation. Because yeah. there are so many, I, we all know logically that there are so many things that we could and should be doing to better our health. But there are other avenues in terms of its simplicity that keep us from being able to do that. And I don't feel... I think we'd be doing ourselves a disservice when we hear some of these numbers, when you know that hypertension, high blood pressure affect black men almost three times more, that black men are almost four times more likely to die from these preventable diseases than their counterparts. Talk less of black women. So, yeah, we're going to have to get that. We're going to have to get that squared away and maybe we'll, we'll post that up and we'll put it on the Patreon and everything so folks have easy access to it. Definitely. Before we finish this out, man, what is your favorite John Singleton film? Because he's had he's had some incredible. Every single thing he's done has been it, has been impactful in one way or the other. But go ahead. And he's had some range too. So yeah, 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 yeah. He did uh, the second. Was it the the second or the third? I think it was the second Fast and the Furious movie. You could have never told me before that John Singleton would have been the one to do that. You get what I'm saying? I've always seen him in the vein of some of these other films, but go ahead. What is your favorite John Singleton movie? Um, well, I mean, for me, it's Poetic Justice, man. Okay. Why? Uh, because Tupac is in justice. it? Yeah, Tupac's in it, but it's just, it's just it has like layers, man. Mm, First of all, mm, it has the mm. greatest line in movie history said by, and I'm going to say it, one of the sexiest older women in Jennifer Lewis of all time, uh, where she tells Tupac... Seasoned woman, not older woman. Seasoned. Uh, well, okay, seasoned, you're right. Uh, <laughs> she tells Tupac, time ain't forever! And that's my that line always speaks to me, man. It speaks to me because it sounds like something my mother would say. <laughs> and B, it's, it, it is black wisdom. Mm. People, they don't have time to give you a whole lot of a speech. They're mm. just going to tell you like it is, and you need to understand what's Damn. being said. I just, I really love it. I mean, as much as I loved his earlier work, 
um, it was some of his later works that really impacted me. He really impacted me in terms of just like a really made me think. Um, it's, it's kind of a toss up between Higher Learning, Rosewood, and Black Snake Moan. Hold up, what about ba- uh, go go ahead? Why Black Snake Moan? Really? Yeah, I, I fucked with that joint. That joint was that was wild. He that was some of the, some of the wildest things. It, you it, it, it was a, it was a crazy it was, movie. It was a crazy movie. It, it was a crazy. It was, but I saw the point of it. Yeah, you know I mean? yeah, yeah. I knew but that. but I'll, I'll I'll never forget when Rosewood came out. Yes, uh, we were. I remember how excited we were when we saw the trailers. Yeah, and I remember a lot of us coming out to support. I remember kind of the backlash with it. Yeah, but um, yeah. but but like a lot of black people wanted to support that movie, and we, my wife and I, we loved it to death. Yeah, you know, um, you know, it came out in '97. Uh, it was a uh, it was it was you know a great film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, especially, I'm a big fan of Ving Graham, so seeing him get some shine was oh, really bro, oh, awesome. Yeah. Awesome, did an incredible job. Um, my favorite movie from John Singleton still has to be Boys in the Hood. Mm-hmm. I mean, the story is you can you can literally put that that story and its elements in the '80s, the '90s, the early 2000s, and now, and it would still hold relevance. Yeah, and I think watching that story evolve and not just watching that story evolve, but also seeing some of the characters that we've come to know and love, Lawrence Fishburne, Ice Cube, Cuba Gooding Jr., seeing them evolve as actors or seeing them get their start and then evolve from that. Like I said, it's always had a place in my heart. And I think, when did Boys in the Hood come out? Nine, like 92? Something yeah, like something 90. like that. It was early 90s, right? Yeah, like 91, 92, I think. I didn't see... I'll be very honest with you. I didn't... Because I grew up in a very uh, restricted household. I didn't see Boys in the Hood until, I think, I think my junior year of, of high school. Damn. Yeah, you know, no bullshit. <laughs> I didn't see it, see it until then. And I was like, you know, and I was... I mean, watching the movie as, as someone... Watching it then as a younger kid and then being able to watch it, I guess, with some more um, life experience under my yeah. belt. Yeah. Completely different perspective. You know what I mean? Yeah. In- incredible movie. Incredible movie. All right. We're going to take a quick break. But when we come back, we have an interview actually with two of our uh, area's top black cosplayers and we'll let them talk to you about what being a cosplayer is and what they seem to be facing as a as black artists so stick around we'll be right back with that what it do good people this is casey and hendrix from the two awkward millennials podcast you can check us out each and every monday bringing you our awkward take on life love and the millennial experience podcast is available on podbean apple podcast spotify soundcloud and google play and also you can reach us on all social media platforms at the 2am podcast check us out yes welcome back family it's your boy big o and we are just closing out an incredible awesome con 2019 and i had the opportunity this year to run into uh some of my favorite chocolate face people to do some cosplay and I thought it would be best to have them on the show to talk about that cosplay life. I'm going to let them introduce themselves. Anita, why don't you go ahead and get us started? Well, well, yes, my name's Anita. My online persona is Tranquil Ashes and I do freelance makeup artistry and your normal customer service work. 
on the non-cosplay life side. Okay. Dana, how about you? Uh, good evening, everyone. My name is Dana. Uh, um, my cosplay persona is NYC Cosplayboy. Um, and when I'm not in the cosplay life, I am a regular computer nerd working for the federal government here in D.C. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm glad that you both took the time out to kick it with some lowly folks like me uh i've been chasing anita for a little bit and i've been chasing you dana for a little bit too i was starting to think you guys didn't like big black boys or something i don't know what the deal was but i just i'm glad that you we finally got this squared away and we can get this thing on the road so i'm my first question to you both is for someone who doesn't know who's not part of that life what would you describe or how would you describe cosplay go ahead first dana. no go no you go first <laughs> Okay. Um, well, for me, my personal experience is just basically um, a way to kind of express yourself um, the way that you would like to. There's a lot of constricts in like the regular world that we live in. And right. so when you cosplay, you get to be who you want, when you want, how you want, and you get to put your own interpretation on it. And I think it just puts in a lot of actual real life skills into cosplay. There's videography, photography, makeup artistry, acting, uh, sewing, armor making. There's so much to do that comes with cosplay. I think people tr truly underestimate it. Mm, interesting. What about you, Dana? Uh, I couldn't agree more with what just said it's a form of escapism and i am i'm glad to even though i've started late late as 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 an adult already but it's it's a it's a sense of freedom you know because you know in particularly especially for for black people in america we can cosplay gives us an avenue to to just escape the constructs the constraints of america just for mm. you know a weekend or a day or two or what what have you, but yeah, like like you said, there's a whole bunch of there's a whole bunch of facets to to cosplay, and you see it you see them all displayed at, at any convention, big or small, that you attend. You know what's funny? Anita was saying, and I didn't even think about it as expansively as she just described it. When I see a cosplayer, and maybe it's my naivete or my ignorance that's part of it, but I just see the end result. I didn't think about the the makeup artistry and the photography, even though I take photographs and stuff like that. I didn't think about all those aspects that go into creating or helping to create the persona of a cosplayer. That's that's incredible. Now, Dana already gave us the segue, so I'm going to ask this question. When did you guys start cosplaying and what got you started? Um... I guess you could say I started cosplaying for real. Like, I went to conventions, but I might have thrown on maybe just something cute, some cat ears or something like that, just to have fun. But I think I started cosplaying in earnest about five years ago. Okay. Um, and I was already doing makeup uh, for people, and I had gotten into doing makeup and plays when I was living in Japan. So it kind of segued into cosplay i was like wait a minute i can do this like all the time hmm. i'm in so <laughs> <laughs> i started i i i my I, I attended my first con um compliments of work i was i was in tokyo 
it was six years ago, the Tokyo Game Show. And it was, <laughs> I was like, oh my God. Cause you know, I, cause I'm a big video game nerd. First and foremost, I'm a video game nerd. And so, and I cosplay as um, identifiable black video game characters. Okay. So, and, and, and at the Tokyo Game Show, I was just, I just seen all, all sorts of people. There were, there were people, there were, people from the Harajuku district doing makeup and fashion and clothes. I'm like, this is amazing. And then mm. when I returned home, I went to a company Halloween party. I said I was going to dress up as Scorpion. So I went to Party City, got a little $20, you know, $20 <laughs> uh, outfit. And, and, that, and that started it right there. And, and I learned how to create armor and and learn how to foam smith you know learn how to to draw in particular wow yeah wow, wow, that's, wow. that's 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 the beginning of my journey awesome would you guys both say that there is uh cosplay etiquette that goes into it like how you interact with cosplayers or how other cosplayers should interact with one another Absolutely. I think just in general, if you treat someone the way you would like to be treated, we would have no issues whatsoever. Mm, mm. If you, you, you're all there to enjoy the same thing. You are in love with anime or video games or comics or all of them. Mm. And you're there to discuss and, you know, enjoy those things that you don't get to do in your everyday with the, those people, with those like-minded thoughts every day so I think that like it it's just an, an avenue for us getting together and doing the things we want to do mm-hmm. um, yes I, I, I agree exactly there is some etiquette you know uh, this is this mostly towards the cosplayers in the quote unquote you know white community that um, you know blackface is never acceptable in any way shape or form because black you. skin say it one black, more time for the people in the back yes blackface is never acceptable no. blackness is not a costume you could throw on and take off at will at yes, you know Thank yeah you. and also um in the recent years there's been people cosplaying you know Nazi paraphernalia Hitler and the SS no yeah no you can't, no, that's no. There's no place for that. Well, it's in the comic. No, you can you you can make changes and people will know who you are. Yeah. You know, you can you don't have to do the Nazi red skull. You could do the you know the cloaked red skull. Some you know you know something to that. Don't yeah. Don't don't be that. Don't be don't, that. And don't uh, and, and don't antagonize cosplayers of color since if they if they're cosplaying a quote unquote white character. You know, mm. yeah, we, we had incidents recently here in the D.C. area, you know, about, you know, people doing that, you know, in particular, Katsukan this past February. But, yeah, I, I heard. I heard yeah. That over the top. And also do not discriminate against people of size. So yes. it doesn't matter what size you are. Mm. You can cosplay mm. whatever. Oh, and, and whatever another you want. And yeah, another yeah. thing. Cosplay does not equal consent. If you see a, a woman dressed in a in a in a sexy cosplay, a Catwoman or a dominatrix or something to that effect, that no, you don't you don't have the right to grab her, sexually harass her. You know, do no that that's that's another no no. Yeah, do, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You look yeah. with your eyes and you now your cameras. Your, yes, and yes, now indeed. With yes, indeed. And we'll go more in depth with some questions about that. But I do want to ask you guys this: When you guys, I've seen you guys do. 
I've had the privilege of seeing you guys do some amazing cosplay. I was telling Anita offline, it was quite some time ago, that when I met her in person for the first time at BlurredCon last year, that I brought my kids, I brought my family actually, because I was coming to take photographs and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And I met her at a table. I think she, I don't know if she was signing autographs. I don't know what she was doing, but she was sitting <laughs> at a table doing a registration or something. And my daughter saw her and she was like, daddy, is that, she's, mind you, she's, she was seven at the time. She's eight now. She said, daddy, is that, is that your Street Fighter character? And I said, who? And I look around and I didn't know that it was, I didn't know it was Anita that she was talking about. And I said, who are you talking about? She said, daddy, that's the, that's one of the people that you play on Street Fighter. And I said, oh, really? So I went up, I walked up to Anita and we talked for a little bit. And then when I, when we left, my daughter's like, I want to be Akuma next year at BlurCon. And I was like, what? Aww. My girl? <laughs> <laughs> you should see that. I was all extra excited. I said, I'm raising him right. I'm raising him right. So with that being said, I want to ask you guys, how do you guys choose the costumes or the characters that you ultimately go as? What is your inspiration? Is there a thought process? Is there a methodology? What's the deal? Ooh, uh, a lot goes into it sometimes and sometimes nothing at all. Um, it's really <laughs> a balance that I find. Um, I have like for Akuma, for example, Akuma wasn't something that I was thinking about doing. Um, at all but a friend of mine was like hey um there's a video game shoot at magfest and we're doing street fighter characters and i was like okay well the other characters that i normally would pick are gone but who else like embodies me and i was like akuma and yeah. i had just was like okay i'm just gonna throw this together really quick at a week and it turns out that akuma is one of the cosplays i'm most recognized for yes i, I can see and that then, picture anywhere and, <laughs> <laughs> and then you have only others you know gambit like my first very first year at BlurCon, i did a snorlax Gajiga. yes that's where we met yeah hold up you did a what now Re rewind that you did a what Oh, Gajinka is basically like the humanized version of like a character. So Snorlax is like my, my favorite Pokemon. And, okay. and I had never seen like a human version of that Pokemon. And I was like, well, how can I make it bigger and better? And I was like, okay, I'm going to be a barbarian version of Snorlax and I'm going to build some armor. <laughs> anything for and I wanted to give it a go and it turned out okay and people know me from that but like i spent like 80 hours on that one whereas wow. i spent maybe like 10 or 15 on akuma and you mm -hmm. just it really is interesting how those things turn out right right what about you dan um yeah so i i'm very militant my friends know they know this about me that yeah i i i am so I I enter a space where we not we, where we are quote unquote not welcomed and I kick the door down. So <laughs> I I cosplay as you know identifiably black characters because they're in in the whole in, in all of nerddom there's not that many black characters to choose from you know and and when I went to BlurredCon for the first time I chose uh, a fighting game character called Zazlamel from Soul Calibur. Mm -hmm. And um, he's a he's a, a black fighter that has a scythe, and he was in uh, Soul Calibur three. 
and um, this was before even six was even was even whispered. So, and people were just coming up to me like, I never seen a, a Zazlamel or even a Soul Calibur cosplayer. I'm just like, wow, because I'm I'm look. I, I did a Google search and a Pinterest search, and I see I saw all sorts of you know. Um, people do do you know Zazlamel, but the people were coming up to me at the very first Blurred Con, um, and they were telling me that 2016 that I've never seen, and, and you know, and mm. and and the kids were like, the kids were like, oh my god, well I'm 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 extremely tall, so um, I'm six 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 seven. Yeah, he's, I'm extremely he's a tall. tall. He's a tall so, dude. So yeah, but you know, and 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 I and. And I and I do it because I want to see, you know, black children be able to express themselves. Because when I was a child, I wasn't able to do that, you know, because you know there was there was there was no there was no avenue for me to do that, you know. I was I was I was in school at home with my family or in the arcades of New York City. Other than that, yeah, I didn't. Yeah, there was no. I, I, yeah, there was no cons for me. Growing up in New York, you know, really, the, even even New York City Comic Con, they they Never. were they they were the cons at the time were like the Star Trek fan cons or whatever, okay. you know, and and in my my father wouldn't let me go to those for 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 whatever reason, various reasons. I get so, you. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, but that's 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 my story in a nutshell. Okay, okay. Now I'm going to ask you guys, I guess probably the crux of this this conversation that we're having. Uh, we already know that black cosplayers or people of color, I think it's probably safe to say, but specifically black cosplayers are uh, a rarity in an area that is predominantly white. What has it been like for you guys as black cosplayers in a predominantly white space? Basically, it's always been a challenge being a person of color in white spaces. And... Um, as long as we remain vigilant and we keep showing up, um, they will have no other choice but to accept us in, our, in those spaces and acknowledge that we are here in those spaces and that we are great in those spaces, as well as creating our own spaces so we can commune with people who get us mm. and you know mm. build our own communities from interesting I, I, i'm going to assume before uh, before dana jumps in i'm going to assume that uh you as a plus size uh model that that's been doubly hard for you or or am i making an assumption no uh, doubly hard i mean like being plus size being as a negative across all boards is not even right. just you know in you know brown space um, if you're a plus size person, you don't fit, you know, the beauty standards that have been set uh, for, you know, us as, I guess, a community. And I definitely fight those standards. I believe anyone and everyone, no matter what size, shape, color, can do whatever it is that they want to do and do it great. Mm-hmm. And um, no one should stop them from doing those things. So, um, yes, it's hard, but I feel like as long as you keep doing it, um, someone's always looking at you. No matter how small you are, followers, whatever. Someone is always looking at you. So try to be the best example 
you can be. And that's basically what I'm just trying to do in the community. It's going to be hard sometimes because I'm always going to get flack for being brown and playing an Asian or white character. I'm mm-hmm. always going to get flack mm-hmm. for being a plus size since 99% of the characters in any genre of nerddom is thin so it's just going to be something that i have to face and i kind of just let the negativity fuel me it kind of makes me want to do it more that's awesome and like i said you're doing an awesome job of it my daughter i gotta i gotta say it again she saw maybe eight of her favorite characters but none of those people that did the cosplay uh, for them inspired her as much as your your cosplay of Akuma did. And it really caught me off guard. But that's a whole different different story. Dana, go ahead and jump in, man. Yeah, to, to, uh, Anita hit the nail on the head. Because um, when n- nerddom, there is a lot of gatekeeping. And gatekeeping is, the, is where, you know, people, you know, will come up to you and just bold with it. Like, you know, oh, you're the black such and such no i'm not the black such and such i'm i am that, <laughs> I'm that character such and such. Yeah, i am right. that character i am i am i am captain america i am thor i am you know harry potter i i, I am you know who i'm not the black no i am I that you. character you know mm-hmm. and 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 it's come it's become so rampant you know it, it feels like there's a feeling that you know that that we as black people are invading their sacred spaces. You, you, mm. you whenever you go to a convention, I, I I suggest you not only just you know just observe people, the type of people that go there, the type of personalities you run across, you know, and you can see you can see where you know um, where all this gatekeeping come from. But you know, be be mindful, be watchful, you know, and see and see how the the attendees and the cosplayers interact with each other and then juxtapose that on how they interact with um, black cosplayers and black people. Don't you think that that whole thing is kind of interesting though that you're dealing in a space of... You're dealing in the space of nerddom, right? And I use that term loosely, but you're dealing in the space of nerddom. And in typical society, nerds are not necessarily the popular folks, right? People that are typically on the outskirts or ostracized in some in some aspects, only to get in this circle and then find that there is discrimination within this circle that's already discriminated against. You don't find that weird? I yeah, because there is um there is white supremacy in nerddom. That, that's there's no ifs ands or buts about it. There is, you know, there is all all the ills and the phobias of America are in nerddom, you know. So yeah, you just it, it yes, it may be an escape for a weekend, but you know, when the con is over and when you're outside the convention center or the hotel, you know, you're you're back in America, but you know, you're just dressed up as you know your favorite character or what whatnot, and but you yeah. Mm. What would you guys say, both of you, what would you say your worst experience was as a cosplayer? It doesn't have to be racially tinged either. Just your worst experience that you were like, ugh, not today. I'm <laughs> it could any day but today. Um, I, well, I guess I could say most. There was a time where I was at at a uh, colossal con which has been a con of a lot of uh, topic lately um mm. that 
I was um, approached by a certain cosplayer, I won't name names, um, but they were a Caucasian plus-size cosplayer that I was a fan of, and I met up with her. And, well, not met up, but I saw her and I wanted to go take a picture with her. And I waited until she was finished doing whatever it was that she was doing. And then when I asked her for a picture, she gave me one of those look up and down moments. Like, she was really surprised I asked her that question. And then laughed and then walked away. You're not even serious. I'm very serious. So when that happened, I was very kind of very hurtful because it's like there's only so many um plus size models out there right, right, and right, so right. for someone who you look forward to meeting and you know you see or heard all these great things about and then you finally meet them and then they are horrible to you so it's it's that was probably one of the worst moments just like in a in in real life, in person, in front of me moment, wow. kind of judgment on who I am as a cosplayer. Wow, wow, wow. What about you, Dana? Well, um, my experience is a, was a, is a life lesson in cosplay. Um, cosplay 101. I, it was the second um, Blurred Con, was it, uh, was it 2017? I debuted my uh, Tyrael cosplay, and I was working on that for a year. And you know, the thing about cons and and conventions in general, there's a lot of walking around. Yeah. You know, you know, and when you are you walking around for like eight, nine, ten hours a day, you know, just back and forth, taking pictures, going to vendor alley, you know, just doing whatever, you know. And I learned a valuable lesson that day. Incorporate in your cosplay comfortable shoes. You know, don't try look, don't try and look cute for the for for the effect because at the end of the day, your body's gonna tell you, man, don't you do this no more. Don't you do this shit no more. Because that weekend, my feet were killing me. So the next year, 2018, I made sure I had I had some shoes and I had and I and I incorporated I Merge it into my my armor foam build so I can walk around, <laughs> be on my feet all day. Oh, no. But yeah, that was my worst experience. It, it was wow. take note whenever you're in cosplay and you're gonna be and you're not doing a wardrobe change, a wardrobe change, you changing in and out of character to different characters. Wear comfortable shoes. You know, I I understand cosplayers are perfectionists. You you won't. We want to look just like the, just like, the, I mean, even have all their crazy shoes and everything. Look, you're human and your feet will let you know. Because when you see a cosplayer sitting down on a sofa or a couch somewhere in a, in a convention center or a hotel or whatever, yeah, their, their, feet, their, their, their feet are on fire right now. But yeah, that, yeah, that, that was my work experience. I, I, I've yet to come across what Anita has experienced. And you know, like, like I said earlier, it may be because I'm 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 a man, but I I'm I'm like what I'm like Cedric the Entertainer. I wish motherfucker <laughs> would, you know, because I look I look I I look look I you know I I don't take slights good you know 
know, like little snide comments. Oh, you should have did No, I'll, I, I will be lying straight into your face, curse you out, and choke you the fuck out. But yeah, but I, yeah, I, Anita, I applaud you because I know you had to deal with a lot of shit. Okay, given that, then what is what is your best experience as a cosplayer? I've had a lot of good experiences as a cosplayer. That's really hard for me to like narrow down. I've had some like super fangirl moments, and where you know I I meet someone who I'm you know like all starstruck about, and they compliment me. But honestly, um, kid kids coming up and wanting a hug or a high five or something like that as well as someone telling me that I look just like my pictures I really enjoy that as a <laughs> as um, a cosplayer too because it means that I'm I'm just I'm putting in as much work as you see because sometimes you know pictures to real life don't necessarily match right, right, right. and there's nothing wrong with that you know to each his own but I really do like when people can see that, you know, face to face, I'm just what I say I am, and that's awesome. important, I think. Yes, indeed. I, I um the same with what Anita just said, especially um when I see you know little black children, black boys and black girls, you know, come up to me, you know, on and on. It's like this past weekend at um, Awesome Con on um, Saturday, I was Sub Zero from Mortal Kombat 11, and Little kids were, you know, were just, oh my God, it's Sub Zero! Look at him! And you know, but they were, they were like, um, they were like, I counted four different Sub Zeros, two black ones, me and another black uh, Sub Zero, um, an Asian Pacific Sub Zero, hmm. and a white Sub Zero. I but I remember people were coming up to me because I, I had a I had a really grotesque prop. So I had a, a severed head prop and everything walking around and people were like, look at that. You know, and the kids You just gotta be the over the top. Look, look, no, you know what that's right. Yeah. As black people we come to the space doing the most. I know. You know, that, you know I, and I'm not ashamed of I'm not I'm not ashamed to admit it. You know, I come I come in there, I look, I look I'm known as the light king. I will Add some LEDs, some lasers to something, just light up the whole room. What? Yeah, Fight me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What? <laughs> you know, you're going to see me. I'm sorry. But, but yeah. my, like I said, I like it, especially when, when children and even adults, they come up to me, they be like, oh my God, you are amazing. You look great. I mean, and they, and they, and they can see the effort that you put into it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah that Yeah. That's, that's my, that's my best con experience. Great. Last question for you guys. What would you tell a person of color specifically that is on the fence about cosplay, like my wife, that hasn't jumped into that pool yet? What would you say to convince them that they should be a cosplayer or to cosplay? Um, I would definitely tell them that I, I wouldn't want to force anyone to do cosplay, but if it's okay. something that they're thinking about, I would suggest choosing someone who they're very close to, a character that they care a lot about. And that way, when they cosplay that character, they feel good because it's someone that they're, you know, really connected to. And honestly, you know, 
it could be a thing with your friends. You can, you know, hook up with your friends and, and build together, you know, find out that you have some skills you didn't know you have. Mm -hmm. Um, and honestly, cosplay pumps confidence in. There's a lot of negativity out there, but it does not outshine the confidence booster you get when somebody recognizes who you are or someone sees how happy you are as that character. And it's all about fun. If you're not having fun, don't do it. Awesome. 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 Go ahead, Dana. Yeah. Cosplay your way. You know, don't let don't let no one tell you any different. And like what Anita said, find that find that one character or what from what from whatever a medium that 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 you like, you know, a, a character from a book, a TV show, um, video game, um, or whatever, uh, uh, from a movie or whatever, and something something that you are emotionally invested in, and you will you'll be surprised how quickly you will morph into that character, you know, and 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 also it builds confidence when you are able to walk out in public in your cosplay from the hotel to the convention center or what have you or you know mm -hmm. it, it you, you know that that's 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 a big step you know people you know mm -hmm. we're 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 so constrained and, and you know to you know oh it's not halloween I, I, I you know people are looking at me fun no you you just walk out and you know you're like yeah i am i am you know who this who i am you know that mm -hmm. yes Anita is absolutely right. You, the confidence will just, will just, just be poured into you. Interesting, interesting. Okay, the Royal Miss Riggs and Dana Dynamite. I really appreciate you guys taking the time out to talk to us and just to give us some insight into your cosplay world. Uh, where can people find you if they have the the want, the desire to find you in all of your materials and stuff like that? Um, my two strongest platforms are Instagram and Facebook. And on Instagram, I'm Tranquil underscore Ashes. And on Facebook, I'm Tranquil Ashes with two S's. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Any projects you got coming up or just check you out on the next con, I guess? Um, well, my next con is Colossal Con. And I do have some projects coming up for that. So stay tuned. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Dana, what about you? Where can people find you if they want to find you and any projects you got going on? Um, you could find me on Twitter and Instagram at nycplayboy78. That's all one word. And on Facebook at Dana.Holmes, the number one. That's on Facebook. And I post everything on my cosplay pictures, my convention pictures, my food pictures, and <laughs> uh, my traveling pictures. You know, that's that's all I post on my social medias. And my next convention is I'm going to Momocon in Atlanta. And my I have an, I have one more cosplay that's just you know percolating right now is Juris from Mortal Kombat 11, the okay. new black character. That's so, awesome. Yes. Yeah. So it's um I'm 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 in the last stages of putting in like the the LEDs because um this 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 character is particularly a flashy character in outfit and in play style in in Mortal Kombat. So I'm I'm trying to capture that essence. This has been giving me fits, but I'm almost there, almost. <laughs> awesome. there. But hopefully I could do that. But and after that. After Momocon, and um, which is Memorial Day weekend, I will be back home in the D.C. area at All Star Comic Con in Tyson's Corner. That's on June seventh. Okay. 
And then, of course, the big one for all of us, BlurredCon in July. You guys have really opened my eyes to this cosplay world. I hope that the listeners also have had their eyes and ears open to this cosplay world. And once again, I can't thank you guys enough for taking the time out to uh, be on the show and just to talk about your experiences. Thank you guys so much. Thank you for having us on your platform. Thanks for having us. No No problem. All right, right about now is the time when we would love to give you little tidbits of news to take with you into the week, but we changing things up. We're about to talk about Game of Thrones. There's no way that we could get through this episode hey. without talking about Game of Thrones, given the episode that we had on Sunday. Man! Can we just say Arya is the real MVP right now? Oh, Can we just do that? Absolutely. 100%. And you know, you know they threw us for a loop because this whole time they were talking about uh, the, the, the chosen one, the prince and the princess and blah, 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 blah. Not knowing Brand, that it was... Brand's going to turn into a white walker and kill him and all this wild <laughs> Brand is a cyborg, man. He is T2 in that joint, <laughs> man. man. Brand is Xavier, man. He was... <laughs> Yo, you see yeah, the meme with the, really the young dog, the wheelchair with the little the little waving? <laughs> <laughs> it was hilarious. I didn't see it. All right. In case folks weren't aware, episode three of Game of Thrones just aired this past Sunday, and it was it was bananas. The name of the episode crazy. was the longest, the long night, and it was the battle to end all battles. Apparently, the battle scenes in this actual episode are the longest battle scene of any movie tv show ever done anywhere ever period crazy man did you hear how many nights they spent shooting this 52 nights man 55 that's a lot that's a lot at night that is a lot that is and that's de- that's dedication for that ass man I mean, and, and night shoots are are the worst yes man. Trust me. I've been through one. I've been through one, and oh lord, I can't imagine like consecutive weeks consecutive of doing week that. Of doing doing night shoots, Anyway, it was uh, okay. So we're we're going to backtrack this a little bit. The yeah. episode starts off with them preparing to fight the army of the Walking Dead. Word. You see all of our favorite characters. These shots come in and out with our favorite characters: Sam, Grey Worm, uh, Tyrion, all of these things as they're preparing. And then the battle starts off. Well, the battle doesn't start off right away. Melisandre <laughs> comes out of nowhere. Everybody yeah. was scared as hell. Yeah. Everybody, was, she, so, everybody was so tense. Yes. Yeah, I mean, man, but it, I mean, but that's exactly what you would expect. They're about yeah. to go, they're about to go into they're about to go to war. Yeah, Very man. realistic, yo. Not a lot of talking. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Did you see my my the part that got me at the very beginning of the episode? After Melisandre lit the the swords of the Dothraki soldiers, right? Yeah. Watching them yeah. charge into the distance and watching each light go out. Wink out. out. Yeah, yeah, man. That thing got me so badly, man. You could see, you know yeah. what really pissed you me know off? What, what was up? It was it was stressful, man. It was stressful. It was. I, I, I hope I hope Joe survived that shit. Apparently he does. So the, apparently from the uh in the uh, not commercial, in the trailer for the next episode. Yeah, right, you yeah. see him, so you're like, okay. But when I saw my man Sajora coming back on the horse, he was like, nope, I don't want no oh. smoke over there, boy. Look at his face. Look at him. I don't want no smoke. But it's like, yo, like all you got ten thousand brown people just snuffed out. Back and the dog comes back. That's it, man. I mean the way they uh, paced, uh, you know, the actual buildup of of, of uh, to actual engagement um, was uh, was really raw, and uh, 
very real for something that you know took place at night inspired people's complaints um it was very realistic in that regard and you know the moments between everyone was uh was crazy um you know just just wondering if they were going to live through the night um wondering what the real plan was going to be uh because you know what was you know i don't know if you noticed like we didn't see the night king at all for the first what 10, 15. Yeah, it was halfway yeah. through the Lego show before you saw the Night King. And you yeah. saw my man John was trying to tell uh, Daenerys, is like, yo, the Night King is coming. What are you getting all this? Ex- why are you getting all extra for? We prepared for these dudes, and we prepared for these dudes in preparation for the Night King. We got to stick to the plan. And then what ended up yeah. happening? Everybody got slaughtered out that joint. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was crazy. You know, I mean, when I saw Melisandre, the, the, you know, the Red Witch, it was like, I said to my wife, Every time she comes before a battle, she she gets her side to lose. Like having Melisandre on your side is like like it's Drake wearing your jersey. Yeah, it's, the jinx. it's like Drake wearing Drake wearing your jersey. You know, you about to lose this game. You know, but the curse continues. She flipped it though, man. Like she came through three times, and the third time was the biggest. The first time she came through, she lit those people's swords. Right, right. That was a morale boost that ended up doing nothing. The second time she came through, she lit the trench. Right. That, that actually, actually helped. Bought, that bought them some time right. until the, the zombies figured yeah. out. Wait a minute, we're zombies. Let's just now, zombie it up, you know. Now it got really, it got really crazy when they started, when they actually started breaching through. Yeah, yeah and yeah, like yeah. it started seeping through into the castle. Then like when we saw saw the scenes from the inside with mm-hmm. the hound and Barrett creeping around, I was like, as soon as I saw them too, I was like, oh god, these fools. Yeah, man. Yeah, but yeah. um, but it turned, but it turns out that um, they needed to be there because Arya, boy, you want to talk about about the skin of your teeth? That scene in the library. Yeah. Yo. Yeah. And, yo, that, that was. Too too that close. was too suspense. I, I, I didn't realize how many of them were in there until yeah. she threw that book. You're right. They all start scattered all over the show. Okay. You know what? Part of the thing that's got me is the complaints that people were talking about about the darkness and not being able to really see it and so on yeah. and so forth. And for me, as someone who is a creative, right, I can see the vision and the mind behind that. It's a battle at night. You're forgetting because you live in the city or you because you live in modern times or you can just flip on a light switch and do all these other things or go outside and you see street lamps and whatnot that you think everywhere is like that. No. You're talking about a time of mid- medieval periods where there wasn't any light. There wasn't any moonlight for that matter. And it's all just dark. That's the way it's going to be. I had a friend yeah. of mine actually... um former military friend of mine that he was, he's seen actual nighttime battle. And we were just having this conversation. He said that, that scene, that whole episode got him because he's been in nighttime battle before. And the worst thing you could do is that at night you can't see, you can't light anything because giving uh lighting, um, putting a uh, flaring up your torch would bring people to your attention. And the worst thing you could do in a battle or the worst feeling you could have in a battle is to be hearing the voices of the folks that you know you're supposed to snuff out and you don't know where they're at, but you're hearing their voices just surrounding you. He I mean, said I, it I, caught him. And I, I was think, like, dog. Yeah, I definitely think the, uh, the the cinematographer for the episode uh, wanted you to feel like you were there. Yes. And, yes. and if you were there, you're going to have a hard time seeing your, yes. seeing your troops, seeing yep. the man next to yep. you. You're going to have a hard time seeing the enemy. You're gonna have a hard time keeping track of yourself. Disoriented and everything. Yes, you, know, so you are very yeah, right. they, they made us feel like yeah. So you want to yeah, you, you want to complain now? You'll definitely be complaining when you're there. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know what? I com- I commend my man Sam though. Everybody knows since episode Ooh. episode one, I, people people clowned him. But from episode one, we always knew that he was a craven. He was a sucker. He wasn't going to be the one to fight. 
But somehow, but you know, that's, that's what they say the true test of being brave is. Being scared beyond your wits and still doing what you need to do in spite of it. And he went out there. I really thought he was going to be hiding in the crypt with, the, with Gilly and uh, Little Sam, but he went out there on the front lines. You know what I mean? I mean, okay, let's let's not give him too much credit. Like he was, he was on his Dude. back. He was, he was. I don't know. This, you this a, is a joke. You a, you this a hater anyway. This so is a joke some people would get, but he was crying and cutting, man. All he was doing was crying and cutting. He was laying Dude. on his back, crying and cutting, man. He's, I'm not sure he who survived. wouldn't be crying and cutting. And that's, and that's don't pay Rick no mind. He swear up no. and down he would have been like John Snow. He know he would have been like Sam. Oh, oh man, so, I would, look. 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 Your head, hey. you would have been pissed. Your no, man, I, would, I, I wouldn't have been there because there's no way I'd be going up there. I'd be back in Atlanta, wherever uh, Massange is from. That's Whatever. Why I, you would have been in the crypt with the rest of them. I would have been Atlanta in the cup, You would have been in the crypt. One character that definitely, um, his his bravery was probably pushed to the limit was uh, was definitely Grey Worm from Don Sully. Yeah. Yeah. But he stayed for the first time for the first time in his military career. Um, you know, his, 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 uh, his men's legendary, you know, bravery and fortitude was pushed to the limit that night. Pushed yeah, to the but, very but limit. He stayed I, he stayed never, saw that, far, never saw that man breathe hard on, on the battlefield. I never saw him sweat, but he was sweating and shaking. Yeah. You see his men ripped up out there. Yeah. Yo, 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 did you feel comfortable when Bran just sent my man, uh, Theon to go die? I was mad <laughs> as shit. He was just like, you're a great guy. Thank you. <laughs> No, you're right, but at the same time, he did he he redeemed himself. That I I I feel I mean, a lot better as Theon as a character so. after I mean, it. He didn't think he redeemed himself clearly. That's why he was out there. Yeah, no, yeah, you're, you're right. right. I mean, look, my thing is, my thing is, if you go back and watch, and I've been looking at YouTube a lot, so much connected, man. For me, the Arya stuff connected. Yeah. And it came down to it. And I, I do wonder about her father, man. Because he, he, if you remember, he brought the dancing master. And it all comes, this is the guy who saved this realm. First of all, the guy who taught Arya to fight first. <laughs> okay. The dancing master. When she was when she was holding that wood sword and dropping it when she was a little girl, man. Cyril that, Pharrell, that guy that right dude, there. Cyril Pharrell. Because he's, and Cyril Pharrell said, what do you say to the god of death? Not today. Not today. And, this was Melisandre's, this was her purpose. The one purpose this woman had was to remind Arya of who she was. And when she heard Melisandre say that, you're supposed to kill somebody with blue eyes, one. And two, what do you say to the god of death? Not today. It's like Arya was, then she became yeah, yeah, the, the light. The light, went off. the light went off. And then she was gone. And it was weird because like she has to, clearly she made a decision and then she just ran off. She was I'm like, yeah, she was like, where are you going? Uh, yeah, <laughs> right. He's like, what, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> where are you going? But you know what? But, but if you think about it, she <laughs> knew the plan. I was like, where's she going? <laughs> but she knew, the, she knew the plan. That's the whole point. She knew where the Night King was going to be because everybody knew where he was going to be. Man, stop it. That was the one, no. my one gripe in the whole joint. Only, How the only, hell did only, you have only, all of the whites out there? She somehow snuck I between, mean, out of all of them. Well, Ooh. check it out. The only person or, well, semi-person that even got a whiff of her was that one white walker who felt that wisp of wind by his hair. <laughs> he was like, what's that? Oh, shit. It's too late. The one that had, he, the one that had the hair with the, the guitar playing Earth, Wind, and Fire. And I think... I think it was already over by the time he turned around. And, and you can't sleep on that, man. She's a faceless man. Like, at this mm. point, she's a faceless man. 
So it's not yeah, just yeah. about pretending to be someone else, and in, in cap, but it's about being able to sneak up on people and murder them. And she's the she's the only one there, literally, who's I mean, to, a trained assassin. No, I mean, right. to be able to silently creep through, you know, the the, the dead and past his men was incredible. Yeah, but if you if you remember yeah. though. That they let Theon come straight at the Night King. The Night King rolled up in there and like there, there was some thugs. Right? <laughs> they, 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 they knew Theon wasn't shit. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So, I felt so, so I, bad yeah. for my man Theon, dog. So hold up, I'm still I'm still griping with this dude Brando, man. You see, he, Theon man. was talking to him. He said, I, "I'm going to go now," and he just disappeared. I'm like what? I'm like, what the fuck? No, he had, you know he had a you know, little, little jar of caviar under that shit. <laughs> what was he doing, though? When he said, I'm going to go now, he's like, he just started warging. I was like, what What, what are you doing, dude? Like, You know what I think? I thought he had a bigger plan to play, but... <sighs> but you know what I think? I think he was seeing where the Night King was. I think he was making sure that the plan was in place. Maybe, and and maybe. He, 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 he was with those crows, and they were looking around, and they saw the, the fight and everything, but he wanted to make sure the Night King was coming to him like like he, they wanted him to. So I think that's what it was about. And the Night King, man, I don't understand, man. It's like somebody on Twitter wrote that he had a 3-1 lead, man. Like he really <laughs> did. He had a 3-1 lead. And like, no, 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 you saw the you it was uh, It was on Bleacher Report. It was on Bleacher Report. It said, who who blew the biggest lead? Uh, Hillary Clinton, the Night King, the Warriors, <laughs> or the damn Falcons you against know, the damn you know the Patriots? You know <laughs> You know, I, I thought I, I thought that the Night King was, you know, at least gonna finally speak. You know, yeah. when he finally saw Bran, because clearly there was some connection between him and Bran. Yeah. And uh, but uh, you know, uh, I, I have to admit I was a little shocked that um, his whole part of this saga is effectively done. Yeah. But you know what, man? When, when yeah. nice, I mean, there, there's there's no back, there's no there's no need to go into his backstory or wonder what his motivation yeah, I was. I was kind of mad so, about that. So, no, no real development I, about his. We don't really know what he wanted. I, yeah. I'm going to say this, man. The, the fact that him hit each other so long, and Bran was not scared at all, says to me that I think that this is the fight with Cersei is not the real fight, and I feel like they're about to do a twist, man. I feel like. That the Night King is gone, but Bran isn't who we think Bran is, because it doesn't make sense, man. There's all this fighting going on. This guy's trying to kill you. He walks up to you. He literally has a touching moment with you for like two minutes, and then he starts reaching for his sword. You know, I feel like Bran's not who we think he is, man. Dog, really, Bran already really told you that he's not a man anymore, man. He's a. He, I told you he's a cyborg, man. He's T two in a wheelchair. You don't understand what I'm trying to tell you right now, man. Yo, okay. Final, final part about it. What, what grade would you give the uh What grade would you give this episode? Yeah, you go first, man. Well, you know, I mean, <clears throat> being you know, one of the proud blurs out here, I, you know, I've been watching the series from, BV. from season one, from season one, no doubt. Um, and I have to say that uh, this, uh, this, this, this episode. Um, was delivered masterfully. Um, it really was. It uh, also effectively killed all magic in the series, um, which is something that you rarely see in this kind of genre when they take such big risks. And uh, the battle was brutal, bloody. Um, you know, uh, you know there was there was definitely a, you know, a tremendous loss of life. It was you know it was very uh, you know very gritty and to the point. Um, the, 
dragon battles were was 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 crazy. Mm. Um, you know, and the fact that we even got to see some aftermath um in the episode um was uh, was commendable as well. Um usually, you know, they try to cut things off right there, but you know, with the death of Melisandre, that was uh that was you know very very poetic. I thought that was um, interesting too. Very interesting that you know, like 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 you know, Rick pointed out, every time she come around, she make their her side lose, but this time she made her side win, and I guess maybe that was the price she had to pay. Yeah. Um. You know. Uh. If and uh. You know. I, I definitely look forward to where the story is going to go from this particular point. Um. And uh, I can only uh, assume that you know Rick could be right. There could be a twist here. You know, because I'm thinking that all magic is done now in the episode. In, in the series. Nah, the dragons um, are still around, so I think we. Well, come I on, mean, great, the, great, 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 Phil, yeah. great. Give me a great, great, great. I, I, I have to, you know, strictly. I mean, a, a plus, man. I mean, for, <laughs> I mean, for, for, for cable television. Yeah. To have me and my, have me and my wife sitting there with palpitations for 82 minutes. <laughs> you um, just do. Yeah, yeah, man. You, y'all won. Y'all, y'all did the damn thing. Yeah, a plus, yeah, hands did, down. Did, Bravo. Okay. I mean, you you talk about like great episodes of television. Uh, you talk about the Bill Cosby, uh, the Cosby Show when they were doing James Brown, uh, when they were doing Ray Charles. Uh, you talk about um, great episodes of television, Fresh Prince when Ben Marine, his father stood him up, you know, and he hugged Uncle Phil and asked, "Why didn't he love me?" You know, mm-hmm. uh, you talk about great episodes of television, Project Runaway. When Santino was making all those jokes, uh, whoa, 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 whoa. Hey, my wife, my wife made me watch. Whoa, whoa, whoa. My wife made me <laughs> whoa, watch. First whoa, of all, whoa. first and off, you's a lie. Secondly, point, we know it's all you. <laughs> that's true. My wife made me watch. You talk about great episodes of television, man. I mean, um, we have all kinds of things to go from. I give it a B plus. Only reason I give it a B plus, I agree. I was on riveted. Uh, I was worried, like my wife, about who was going to die. I think it's excellent. Uh, only reason I give it a B plus is two reasons. One, it was really dark. It was supposed to be dark. I get it. But it was dark as hell. <laughs> and <laughs> sometimes I couldn't see it. Sometimes like that that bothered me a little a little too much. Rick, there's a and, button on your remote. It says menu, and you can go inside <laughs> and adjust like and, the uh, brightness and the contrast. And and number two. <laughs> And number two, um, is not enough black people. So, so <laughs> well, at least the two black people me. didn't. Well, the, all you, the brown you, folks you, got you, bust you, off. The, the, the two brown black people did did, did not die. They did not die. But don't forget, they're going to have uh, another battle episode, episode five. So we'll see if they survive episode past episode five for the finale. Man. I don't know if everyone could do that. I don't know. Man. <laughs> I know. You already cut it close this time, dog. I don't know if you can survive another one. Yeah, I, I need my black people to survive this. I know, shit. I know. I'd, I'd give it an A. Um, I only had small gripes with it, but it was like gripes where I was, I think I was thinking too much, maybe the logic behind it, instead of just allowing creative license to take its place. But other than that, like I said, I give it an A. It was a, it was a solid and incredible episode. The score was good. The cinematography was good. The writing was good. Even though there was minimal talking, the writing was still pretty damn solid in this too. So I'd give it an A. Oh, shout out to Leanna Mormont for the gangster move with the giant shit. Yes, oh, little that's, bear that's man. How you do it, man. Little that's how you bear. Do it. I mean, especially allowing even allowing them to kill a child on screen was yo, was ballsy. 
Yeah, yeah. very, very, very ballsy. No one's mentioned it, but it was ballsy. No, very, was, very ballsy. And, and it, he had a giant crush near the death, man. It wasn't even like a, a like a quick, very quick death. Yeah, it was slow, long, and gruesome. slow, and gruesome. You know, yeah. see that yeah. little girl, but she got, she got him. <laughs> yeah, right now, yeah, yeah. man, that was right dope. Right, right. All right, right about now is the time that I want to cut out of the show, but you know, once again, it's in the contract, so <laughs> oh, wait, wait, I'm gonna let. You still doing? I, I know, still I know, this, I know. Of course. I might have to, I might have to reconsider. We're gonna to have to renegotiate the contract after we come back from our. Maybe, maybe it was going long enough. Yeah. I, <laughs> go ahead, Rick, and tell this stinking ass joke. Best part of the show. No, it's not. This is a joke. Allegedly. allegedly, real quick joke. Real quick <laughs> right, joke. Allegedly. There was this guy who just got out of basic training, and he was driving in this neighborhood, and he sees a guy on the corner, and uh, the guy on the corner is talking to some other guys. And he goes over to him and says, excuse me, sir, um, do you know directions to the airport? And the guy says, uh, yeah, 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 I know directions to the airport. First, what you're going to do is you're going to put your foot on the gas and you're going to take a left and get out my face. <laughs> you're going to take a right. And you better move now. And then you go straight. If you go to, I wish a nigga woods, you're going too far. Bye. That's it. That's a joke. <laughs> oh, I know that joke sounds familiar. <laughs> oh my god! I'm going to start with Phil this time. Phil, where can people find you if they want to find you? Because I don't think anybody wants to find Rick in this. Any, go ahead, Phil. Where can people uh, find you? They want you know, to find first of all, I'm glad to be back. I'm glad to see you guys again. I plan to be back a lot more often. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. You can find me on Instagram as usual at the Orange Crush, uh, T-H-E-O-R-A-N-G-E-K-R-U-S-H or S-P Methods, S-P-M-E-T-H-O-D-S. Great, great, great. Rick. Yeah. Just make sure you, you sound like his father. Dude, I'm, I'm disappointed. Don't, don't, don't go to the don't go I'm to the so wishing disappointing you boy. Stay away from the wishing nigga woods. Uh, <laughs> my favorite Game of Thrones character is always going to be the brother who was faking it until he made it. That they locked in that that uh that uh that safe. He's always going to be my favorite character. I wish. Hey. Anyway, anywho, uh, you can find me on the Twitter. At Real Rick McRae, if you want some more of those wonderful jokes. You can find me on the gram. <laughs> at Real Rick McRae. You can't find me on Facebook, even though uh, they're trying to un-Zuckerberg, uh, the Zuckerbergness. And um, don't look for me on Backpage, because that's nasty. And don't look for me on uh, Twitch or Twitter, because I'm not on those. <laughs> you can find him on Grinder. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I saw anyway. you grinding mug, by the way. Oh my god! I saw you, saw you grinding mug. We whatever, whatever, dude, whatever. Dude. And I bold. am pretty bold. Out, but whatever, whatever. And I'm big. Oh, you can find me on Twitter and on Instagram at mr underscore in the black. And I want to thank you guys for joining us for another episode of the In the Black podcast. Remember, we want to hear from you. Help us continue these conversations by reaching us at our In the Black PDCST Facebook, Twitter or Instagram pages, and as always, informed, intelligent, in the black. Peace. Peace. This is the In the Black Podcast.
in the black party. Big O, my brethren, big up. Black up, make up, very repeat up. Make it sizzle on them just a little, don't give them too much. Yeah, we in the black and it's all good. Mr. Hustle Hard, Orange Crush, this for all hoods. This for everybody, intelligent folks who read books. Even part-time crooks listening and get hooked. Yeah, on the game right now, we got a big foot. On them black social issues, we got the input. Speak about the things that get you tense and leave you all shook. Speak about the current events that made us all look. Big up every African king, big up no brook. Big up every African queen, this thing's all good. In the black podcast, never, never whack never. All you other podcast cats better step back Yeah, I love playing around on the track DJ Henny's better than many, you know it's a fact We pass them, you can't outmatch what we have Feel the impact in the black podcast ass You know this is a podcast from the black love Chat about the news and the pan your head top top Hurry the face, not a lick of it a lot to the top, we are going now stop In the black yeah, in the black And the body's podcast, black cast Say that day, he not the black, he not the black truth, you love that right here, you feel that.